that you've done. We're in all of, of who you are. We are in all of your goodness and grace to us. And certainly we would proclaim today that all of the honor, all of the glory belongs to you. Not to us, not to us, O oh Lord, but to your name be honor and glory. And we're thankful today that we have a God who is worthy of that honor and that glory. As we open up your word, we pray that you would speak to us from it, that the Holy Spirit would cause us to understand truths from your word that maybe we have not yet understood or truths of which we should be reminded. And Father, we pray, as my prayer is every Sunday that we gather together, that we would leave here changed from being in your presence. It's in your good and holy name we pray, amen and amen. Well, to invite you to take your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, and for a few moments, we're going to think about life after Easter, okay? And I know that, uh, is it National Blue Shirt Day? My goodness, uh, Bubba mentioned it to me earlier, and somebody else said something to me about it, and I just didn't until now. It's like the Blue Man Crew is here, so... Uh, sorry, got a little sidetracked there with a little rabbit uh, trail. Uh, Luke chapter 24, life after Easter. Now, Easter was uh, last Sunday, of course. You went to church, and uh, you, you maybe had some food with family and friends, and, and maybe you hunted some eggs. Maybe you took a nap. Maybe you got up from your nap and you ate some more food. Maybe you borrowed some candy from a kid's basket. Am I getting anywhere close right now with anybody? Maybe you, you, you ate a, a pre-midnight snack, you went to bed, you woke up, and you went about your Monday, and the week has passed, and here we are again gathered together. Imagine, if you would, with me for a few moments, if you were the apostles, or if you were among that group of disciples, those women who were there after the resurrection of Jesus, after the first Easter that we uh, celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive. The, the women, as we saw last week, they, they returned from the tomb with word that Jesus was not there, and their words seemed like an idle tale. It seemed too good to be true. Peter and John head off to the tomb, and, and in fact, John outran Peter. I kind of have a vision of a Forrest Gump when he does that. He, he outruns Peter to the tomb. And, and he, he, he looks in and sees Jesus is not there. The, the disciples are, are still dumbfounded. They're, they're confused. Some of them are not yet convinced. In fact, the last time that most of those apostles saw Jesus with their own eyes, someone was taking his dead body down from the cross. The reports of the resurrection seemed like like nonsense. And so now it's after Easter, it's after the resurrection, and Jesus wants to make sure that they understand some things. And that's where our text comes in this morning from Luke chapter 24. We're going to begin reading in verse 36. As they, <coughs> the apostles, the disciples, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. 
But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, excuse me, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? I always knew Jesus was a Baptist. <laughs> always. But he wasn't Southern Baptist because they gave him a piece of broiled fish. If he fried fish, if he was Southern Baptist. And he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father, that's the Holy Spirit, upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now in between verse 49 and 50, there is a span of several weeks. It's not your text here, but there's a span of several weeks. And verse 50 says, he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. I always find it humorous kind of in verse 36 where it says that when they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among, he just materialized, he walked through the wall and there he was before them and said to them, peace to you. He had to know that the feeling they were not going to experience was peace. Imagine your home all alone late at night and you're working and your mind's engaged, you're on your computer you're doing whatever and I sneak up behind you and I grab you and say relax that's what's had he is grabbing says peace the last thing they're going to have is peace in their heart but notice the transition and the transformation that happened as verse 52 tells us that they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. The last time they were in Jerusalem, it was not joy that they had, but they're going back to Jerusalem with great joy and they're going to continually bless God in the temple. They had joy which you would think would be counterintuitive. Jesus is leaving them. And Jesus has told them some pretty heavy stuff. Jesus has said, look, the world's going to hate you and they're going to abuse you because they hated me and they came after me. Jesus has told them, look, you're going to have to take up your cross and just as I suffered for others, you're going to have to suffer for others. He's told them these things and does anything really about that sound too joyful? And yet 
said, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. It causes me to ask the question, what happened? What occurred in their life after the resurrection, in their life after Easter? What occurred between the resurrection when they were startled and frightened, the text tells us, and the time that Jesus ascended as they were continually blessing God? Well, Jesus spent between his resurrection and his ascension between the events we looked at last week and the last verses of Luke chapter 24, that is a span of 40 days that Jesus spent with his followers after the resurrection, before his ascension. This was life after Easter. This was life after the resurrection. There was a marked difference in their lives. When Jesus appeared to them, back in verse 38, it tells us that there were doubts in their hearts. But at the end of these 40 days, they were continually offering God a blessing in the temple. Something happened. Their faith replaced their fear. Their certainty replaced their doubt. Jesus prepared them for the resurrection. Jesus prepared them then for life after that resurrection. Jesus prepared them to live every day in light of the fact that he was alive. May I remind you this morning, church, that Jesus is alive today just as he was last Sunday. Amen? That this is life after we celebrate the resurrection, but we still celebrate. And he's made the same kind of preparations for us. In fact, when I look at this text and just kind of get a general overview of what the apostles are doing, I, I notice a few things, a few choices they made. And these choices that they made in life after Easter, after the resurrection, made the difference for them as they live for the honor and glory of God. I want to share with you the, the three choices that I see them making in this text. First is this, they made the choice to embrace hope. They made the choice to embrace hope. The resurrection of Jesus and the subsequent encounter they had with the resurrection, resurrected Jesus gave them hope. Now I want to say something very important. Hope was always there. And hope was going to be there regardless of their decision to embrace it. But if that hope of the resurrection was going to do them any good at all, if it was going to change their lives in any way, they had to embrace that hope and they had to live from that hope. I want you to hear that correlation to your life. If you have a relationship with Jesus, hope 
is yours for the taking. There is hope regardless of if you decide to embrace it or not. But this hope will do you no good unless you choose to embrace it and live from it. See, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1 and 3 that according to God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Not just hope that you have one day and not the next, but a living hope that is alive as long as Jesus is alive through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus gave them hope and he gives us us hope as well. And, and in fact, when you see how Jesus interacts with them, you see how he gives them this hope in a couple of ways. For example, the resurrection that Jesus reminds us of in this text, this resurrection is a picture of the life that they will inherit and we will inherit in eternity. You see, Jesus' resurrection showed them life at its fullest. In this text, after the resurrection, he could be touched. He was able to eat. He could show up in rooms. I think he also, in addition to rolled fish, probably had a Milton Quality Bakery donut. <laughs> I noticed some of you are in a bad mood today. And some of you didn't even show up today because we're still praying for a roof for our Milton Faulty Bakery. I have to have a feeling that that was also included. That was a, a picture of hope that he could eat. He could have a conversation. Jesus, catch this, Jesus was more alive after the resurrection, not less alive. See, here, here's what this shows us. All that we love down here is a pale reflection of what we will get to experience with a resurrection version up there. See, John, the disciple that outran Peter to that tomb that day, John had the privilege of, of receiving a vision from God. And this is John, the apostle. This is not, we don't get visions from God. This is John who has this vision for the future. And, and John sees a point in time yet to come when God will create a new heaven and a new earth. The old will pass away and there will be resurrected newness in life. In fact, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9 that I has not seen nor ear heard nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. This resurrection gives us a picture of what life will be like in eternity and doesn't that kind of eternal life give you hope? How can it not? But he also gives them hope in this way. The resurrection shows you that God doesn't waste our pain. Did you notice that Jesus showed them his hands and his feet? And in those hands and in those feet were scars. A constant reminder of his death. 
When Jesus died upon the cross, never did life seem more out of control. It seemed as though through his pain and through his death, the bad guys had won. But it was all part of God's plan. In the death of Jesus, do not miss this truth. In the death of Jesus, God used, thank you, Mr. Robert, someone had a bottle here. I smelled it, and I couldn't really tell what was in it. Of course, if something else was in it, it may get a lot better. And sir, may get a lot better in 20 minutes. I don't know. So Jesus gives them this, this, this idea that when they, they see his hands and his feet, it's this reminder that his pain was the darkest day on the face of the earth. If there was any time when things looked more out of control, it was the day that Jesus died. And yet God used that most painful moment to accomplish his greatest purpose. Did you hear me? God used the most painful moment of Jesus' life to accomplish his greatest purpose, our salvation. Romans 8.28 says that we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Hear me this morning. God uses everything, even your pain, to accomplish his purpose. That gives us hope that we can embrace. What if you could see that just like God was working through Jesus' scars for our eternal good, that he is working all the painful things out in your life for a beautiful plan. That's the hope that the resurrected, nail-scarred body of Jesus gives you. And the apostles anchored their hope in something that nothing on this earth, not disease, not death, not deprivation, could take away. And we can embrace that hope as well. Life after Easter, after the resurrection, must include us embracing hope. But second, they made the choice to live for an eternal purpose. They made the choice to live for an eternal purpose. I'll tell you something, what life after Easter, because of the resurrection, the resurrection changes our priorities from the temporal to the eternal. Let's be honest. Many of us are so afraid that we're going to miss out on something in this life that we end up putting most, if not all, of our focus on what happens in this life. I can prove to you that that's our tendency. That's the reason we have bucket list. We have bucket list because we want to make sure that we do everything we want to do. There's nothing wrong with a bucket list as long as you're willing to dump it over to follow Jesus. Just as long as it doesn't become that which anchors your life. If there's a better version up there of anything we miss out on down here, 
we don't really have to be obsessed with obtaining all the temporal things down here. Obtaining everything down here is not essential to living the abundant life after the resurrection. All right, now hang with me. I want to show you because you're going, well, Pastor, I got a lot of good things in my life that are very important. Okay, just hang with me. Now, this is a question. Usually, I want you to talk back to me, but I want you to think about this question before you spout off or think of an answer. Think of the question itself. What is the only thing that we have on this side of eternity that we can also have on the other side of eternity? Think about it for just a second. The only thing that we have on this side that we will also have on that side. It's not possessions. It's not property. It's not our pocketbooks. Those are all temporary. You know what it is? It's people. It's people. See, I have people on this side of eternity. On the other side of eternity, guess who's going to be there? People. People are the only thing we have on this side of eternity that we will also enjoy on that side of eternity. So when we invest in people's lives here and now, that is an eternal purpose that matters. That will make a difference in eternity. How many toys you collect in your storage shed, it going to make a difference in eternity. How many vehicles you have, it going to make a difference in eternity. How big your house is, it going to make a difference in eternity. How many vacations you take won't make a difference. Look, listen, go drive your cars, go have vacations, go have a big house. That's fine. Just understand, those things won't matter in eternity. Let's not get caught up in what's here that one day will burn and be passed away. Let's instead focus and invest in people who will last for eternity. Look at verse 47 of your text. In verse 47, Jesus said that the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. People must be called to repentance. People must be offered this gift of forgiveness. These few years on this earth, those years represent the only opportunity people have to receive Christ as their Savior and Lord. And these few years that we spend on this earth as followers of Jesus represent the only opportunity we have to share the hope with them and extend that invitation to them. Let me ask you, for which purpose are you living? Are you so caught up with obtaining things down here that you've taken your eyes off of your calling up there? These disciples lived with an eternal purpose, the forgiveness of sins to be preached to all people. That invitation's offered to us as well. Number three, they made the choice to live in and from God's presence. 
Notice some things that take place in our text. Okay, Jesus showed them his hands and his feet. The resurrected body of Jesus had those scars, will forever have those scars as a permanent reminder to them and to us of how much God loved us, how far he went to save us. He also promised them the Holy Spirit. He spoke about how that in verse 40, he is sending the promise of my Father. That promise back in Acts 1.8 was the promise of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was and is the presence of God in the hearts of his followers from that day and this day until the day we see Jesus face to face. And Jesus ate with them. In fact, it tells us twice he ate with them in the last moments of his time on this earth. Eating in the Jewish culture is a sign of intimate fellowship. This is why we're told that the disciples had joy. Their joy flowed out of his presence with them. He was physically present with them, and then he gave him his spirit so he would ever be present with them. The God who created heaven and earth, the God who left heaven to come for them and died to save them, this God, this Jesus, who still had scars in his hands, and his feet to prove his love for them, that God would always be with them, living inside of them. And the good news for us this morning is that the same presence is with the followers of Jesus today. This is why Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, 20, he says, I will be with you always to the end of the age. You seek, you are seeking a presence in your life from some source. You're looking to something or to someone to fill your life with, with satisfaction, with joy, with meaning, and with purpose. What is it that you seek to do those things? Some people seek it in relationships, but relationships have problems. Some people seek it in their bank account, but at times the invoices and the bills are bigger than the balance. Some people look for that satisfaction, that joy, that contentment in the toys they can collect and possess, but one day those will be taken away and they can be taken away just like that. So think of it from this perspective. If you find yourself with a desire that nothing on this earth can satisfy, the only explanation is that you were made for something and someone who is not part of this world. The only explanation is that you were made to live in and from God's presence. You see, these apostles moved on from this point, and they continued to live life after Easter, after the resurrection of their Lord. And they did some remarkable things, but they are largely unremarkable people. 
the reason these ordinary people do extraordinary things isn't because of who they are, but because of whose they are and the choices they made in their relationship with God. And the good news this morning is that their choices can be your choices. You can have the hope they had. You can't live for the eternal purpose for which they lived. You can have the presence of God that they had. Hope, eternal purpose, God's presence, they're all found in a resurrected Jesus. Do you know that Jesus today? Do you have a relationship with him? You will find no hope outside Jesus because there's none to be found. You will find no eternal purpose outside. Oh, you'll find something to keep you occupied for a few years on this earth, but you find no eternal purpose outside of Jesus. He's the only one who can give that to us. You cannot find God's presence anywhere but in a relationship with God. So my question to you this morning is, do you have that relationship? If you don't have that relationship, in just a few moments, I'm going to pray. And, and as I pray, if you don't have that relationship, you can cry out to God. You can pray right where you are. No magic words. No secret formula. As best as you know how, as best you can, in your speaking to God, confess your sins to Him. Admit that you're a sinner. Place your faith in him. Put your trust in what he's done for you. And ask him to save you from your sins. If you have a relationship with Jesus, and you think, well, shoo, I'm off the hook. Eh, back up just a second. Are you living from the hope you have in Jesus? Because I'll tell you, I meet a lot of us. And I am one of us. And there are some days that I don't live from that hope. Are you living from that hope? Are you fulfilling that purpose? Are you living from God's presence, knowing that God, the Holy Spirit, is within you? And he wants to use you as the hands and feet of Jesus on this earth today. Jesus' purpose was accomplished, but his mission remains. Will you be a part of God's plan? Would you bow with me this morning? Father God, I'm thankful that Jesus has done all that is required for our relationship with him. And that in that relationship, we have hope. That that relationship gives us purpose. That that relationship causes your presence to fill our lives. And Father, I pray that we would embrace that hope. That we would embrace that purpose. We would embrace your presence place today if there's one listening online or on the
you today and they don't have a relationship with you, would you use this moment, whatever they're doing, would they just stop and cry out to you? That is our prayer. We know the Spirit is convicting because that's what He does. I pray that that conviction will be acted upon and repentance will be offered to you. And for those of us who've made the decision to follow you, whether we made that decision a month ago or a decade ago or 50 years ago, I pray that we would live from that relationship, that we would show the world that we have hope, that we would show the world that we have a purpose, that we would be an example of what it means to follow Jesus. Whatever you're calling us to do today, Father, I pray that we would say yes. In Jesus' name.